Hi, I'm Brenda. And I'm Elaine. We're sisters. Welcome to the Body Wealth Podcast, a space for conversations about the wealth that really matters, your best health. Self-doubt is fairly common, but when it becomes debilitating, it can have so many negative effects. Persistent and debilitating self-doubt has been labeled imposter syndrome, which psychologists have been seeking to explain and address since the 1970s. Our guest today, Janice Wardlaw, shares her own struggles and triumphs in working through imposter syndrome in college, her career, and daily life. Welcome, Janice. This is a good friend of mine that I've known since we were both teenagers. And that was just a few years ago, but uh, (laughs) I'm just so happy that she's joining us today. So Janice, please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This is such an admirable venture on your part. So thank you for including me. I am a retired journalist <laughs> and uh, now college English, English professor and writer in the middle of, well, maybe toward the end of my first novel and started two others. Oh, wow. So excited. Yeah, that is exciting. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. So Janice, what is imposter syndrome? And can you share a little bit about your experience with it? Yes. Imposter syndrome is that unrealistic feeling that you don't belong or you don't deserve to be in a particular space. And it manifests manifests itself in many ways. It can, and it did for me. It was about probably 10 years ago that I was really able to name this Mm. and to apply it to all those things that I went through, particularly at the college I went to first, Duke. And it was a a pretty negative experience. And with imposter syndrome too, it affects the way you make decisions, Um, the way you think about yourself, the things that you convince yourself of. And as you probably know, the the things that we tell ourselves are often more damaging and more convincing than what other people can tell us. So what are some of the things you told yourself? You know, after I did not reach a level, a certain level of success in college, and I started to think, wow, maybe I'm too dumb to be here. They made a mistake Mm. letting me here. Um, I've let my family down. I I just don't know how to get out of this. And that was the desperation talk that just sent me spiraling. And there was, as I remember it um, and think about those things that people told me, people in my life, positive people, Mm -hmm. um, were trying to tell me, I, I just didn't believe it. And I remember actually saying those words, I'm too dumb to be here. That was my inner mantra. And so I began to make really bad decisions, bad decisions about, you know, the classes I took, about relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, places to go, places to be, dreams, you Mm -hmm. know, oh, I, I, I could never do that. 
it was really, it was really tough. And because I did not have successes academically and in terms of relationships, it just cemented that feeling that, you know, I'm too dumb. They, they didn't mean to let me in here. I, I'm not, I'm just not going to make it. So before you went to college, you hadn't had any of these thoughts or feelings? No, no. You know, home was a great place. <laughs> you know, you had, those, you had those people in your life that boosted you up, said, oh, you're so smart. You're, you know, you could do this. And, uh, and you had a lot of academic success. I had academic success without trying, mm. without having to work for it. And I think that also worked against me when I got to do. Here I was, an honor student without trying in a sea of valedictorian salutatorians and scholarship winners and, and that kind of thing. And how could I compete with that? Right. I feel like at a lot of a lot of people experience some of those things when they go to college, those feelings of, of doubt and insecurity about themselves. What do you think lends people to feel those things more and internalize them more? For me, I had to find a concrete reason, but it couldn't be just that that's how it is, that, that everybody at some time feels that way, has those feelings of doubt, inadequacy, that kind of thing. It couldn't be that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it, it was like a root. It just took root in me. Mm. Um, a weed, know, a weed. Yeah, a weed, exactly. <laughs> it really took hold and I had to find some, some reason, you know, oh yeah, this, this is it. I'm, I'm, I don't deserve to be here. That's, and that's it probably it. worked against you because like someone like me who had to work hard in high school to get the grades. So if I started college and was struggling, my narrative was, oh, I just got to work hard, right? But if, but if you have a narrative that says, I'm too dumb to be here, then maybe that doesn't inspire you to work hard because you've already told yourself you're too dumb to be here. So when you took yourself out of the situation there in college, how did that continue to affect you? It manifests itself in those decisions that you make, even the relationships that you seek or that you allow mm-hmm. in your life. I went home with this weight and with incredible guilt and shame, really, you know, there was this huge failure Mm. and that's going to um, predicate everything else. That's what I told myself. And so what I did is maybe lower my expectations for myself. This is all I can do. This is, this person would never want to be friends with me. I can't be in that circle, you know, I can't, you know, do this, or I can't do that, or I can't say that. I can't, there's nothing I can say to, to prove my worth. I think that I maybe tamped down my expectations of what I could do and what I could achieve in life. And what you attempted. Exactly. I, you know, I'm I'm not even going to try that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I know how wonderful you are and all the things that you have <laughs> accomplished, <laughs> it would be helpful, I think, to know how did you move past that? Yeah, I believe in divine intervention and that things happen and people are placed in your life at certain times for a reason. 
the first time that I felt like someone, like, you know, someone wanted me. I was at home at a television station in Fayetteville and I had done some fashion show there on the air and I was leaving and my dear friend was with me and we were walking out of the station and the news director comes running after us and he said, hey, he said, I saw you in the fashion show. You were great. He said, have you ever done any broadcasting? And I just, you know, that voice, I said, yeah, right. No. You know, and I kept walking. He said, well, wait a minute. He said, he said, would you, would you want to audition for this weather anchor position? Great. Voice again, louder. Are you kidding? You can't be a weather anchor, you know? And my friend said, yes, she would. Yes, she would. <laughs> and that was the beginning of a career in journalism. Having no degree, and this voice telling me all the time that I couldn't do it, you know? So, you know, I muddled through, I was the weather anchor. I began to report. I was a reporter, fill in anchor, then continued mm. this 30 year career in broadcasting. So you know? when you would get these increasingly impressive jobs in broadcasting, did you have anxiety? Did you still have stories in your head? Yes and no. Okay. Yes, those voices continued. Yes, I had great anxiety. In fact, the first real reporting job I got, I was asked, well, you know how to operate, operate a camera. Mm-hmm. And I said, without even thinking, I said, yes. And I, <laughs> lied. I lied. And I thought, and that voice said, girl, <laughs> they are going to find you out. You are going to be exposed. <laughs> But, you know, it worked out because my boyfriend, now husband, was a photographer and he showed me. He gave me the crash course. He said, here, do these three things and you can get by. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was was things like that. And that job, I thought, oh, God, they're going to find out that I really can't shoot or I don't have a degree. I really don't know what I'm doing. And then I got a job with NBC with the network. It was a freelance uh, writing job. And I thought, oh, God. And when I got the interview, even when I was in the interview, and I I was sitting there, that voice was like, yeah, girl, they're going to just sit here. They're going to find out. Mm. She knows. She knows. But do you think having felt that way for so long in in your head, you kind of learned how to manage it or you kind of learned how to not listen to it as much? You would think. But I realized 2014. My husband, who is very involved in the community, church, fraternity, is a great at project management, small group communication, has done all kinds of things. He's often sought after to, to speak and do things. So he, he and I were asked to speak at this event about our careers and da-da-da-da. I was like, there is no way I am doing that. And the person who asked was kind of offended. Because I didn't tell them why. Right. And Kevin said, well, why don't you want to, what don't you want to do that? Because up to now, you know, I fooled him. You know, he, wow. didn't, you know, he didn't know. And so, and because he thought I was great. He thought I was, you know, the ball. And he, and he knows. <laughs> well, you know, we know now. <laughs> but he didn't know. He said, well, why don't you want to do it? And it, that's the moment almost 10 years ago now, 
mm. that I was able to name it. Wow. You know, I, I said, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I have lived with this. This has been a part of me. It's been an albatross. The weeds had choked me. Mm. And he said, wow. Well, had you before then me. heard about imposter syndrome at all? Or no, no, heard not really. No. no, okay. No. And, and I, and I, you know, investigated it and I said, and I had everything. I, I mm. all of the, <laughs> I checked all of the boxes. Tell us the boxes. Not deserving to be there feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm tricking them. They're going to find me out mm. that guilt and shame that follows you everywhere that internal voice that tells you that convinces you that you're not worth it mm. you know that you're, you you don't deserve to be here i checked every box and then the, the things that go with that being depressed about about things making poor decisions and affecting relationships but how you move just how you move in the mm. world mm. and i said this has got to stop and another dear friend said, Janice, go back to school. I think that's what's going to break this for you. And my daughters at that time said, mommy, just go back to school. Wow. Just, just do that. And I decided to do just that. I would have nightmares about school, <laughs> about college. Like, you know, like I was running through mud trying to get to class and people were walking past me and I'd wake up and I'd realize that I hadn't been to a class all semester. And at this time you were, your children were like in high school, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I did exactly that. Went back to school and this time with a purpose, seeking that joy of what I wanted to do, mm. which was right and, mm -hmm. and, and teach. And that's exactly what I, I'm doing now. And my husband was like, well, you know, you have, you know, you're well-respected. You have a great career at NBC. And I did. I did. It was an exciting job. I was making good money and, you know, everything was cool. I had the respect of my coworkers, but I still had, still had that voice. Mm -hmm. When the Trump era came along and Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, the summer of discontent and, you know, just things converged. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I wanted to be something else. I wanted to do something else in the world. And so I did it. And I even summoned the courage to tell my boss, I said, look, I'm going back to school <laughs> and my boss was very, very supportive. She even came to my graduation. Um, so it just all converged and the voice of that troll is gone. It went away. And I so said, how do you move about differently without that? There is nothing that I won't try. Mm. I won't think that I belong somewhere. I'm thinking now, you know, when my book gets, when my book is published, Oprah's going to be going, uh, hey, we're going to read this for our book club. Yay! I'm going to be talking. No doubt. People. You know, I'm going to be in bookstores. And the other piece of that is teaching college students. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is really important for me because I want to be that professor that understands. I want to be that professor mm -hmm. that I needed and didn't get mm -hmm. back all those years ago.
I want to do that. Yeah. So many people who are not heard or won't have a voice or, or feel Mm -hmm. that they can't share their voice will be able to do that because of you. One of the things that I've started doing the first day in class, we talk about, because I teach English writing, research writing Mm -hmm. uh, right now. And one of the things that I, I tell them first is that what does our language say about us? What do, what do people think about us when we when we speak or when we write? And and I read to them an essay by Amy Tan. Do you remember? Um, mm-hmm. I read all her books. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, she's wonderful. She she wrote an essay called Mother Tongue about her native language Chinese and her mother and how her mother spoke and moved in the world and how she used to be embarrassed and how she used to compensate for her mother. And then until she realized that this is who I am, this is who my mother is. It doesn't mean that she doesn't belong in this country. It doesn't mean that she's not smart. It doesn't mean that she's not a good person. So we read that and I have them watch a video about AAVE, African-American Vernacular English. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talk about those things and what our language says and what what do they think about people who speak in this way or infuse their native language and all that comes down to you belong here you belong here and you have something to say and say it say it believe it feel it and just be be who you are you do belong and yeah and the demographic that i teach the student demographic is community college so we get adult learners, we get traditional learners right out of high school. We have homeless students. Mm. We have students who work, of course, they have children, mm. families. And so th- they have lives around getting their education and it means a lot to them. It means everything to them. And so, you know, again, I just, I just want to be, if I'm the only person in their life who believes in them and encourages them in, in this way, then I'm gonna gonna be that person. So it's very fulfilling for me. Oh, thank you. I mean, you have transformed a very negative thing into a very positive thing in the world. And so thank you. But I also feel like you did it just from your own internal strength. I mean, and the support of your husband and your family and your friends, But did you ever, when you were struggling, think about therapy and think that that might be something that could help you? You know, I I did not. And I I feel as though, had I done that maybe those 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. or even before, you know, I could name it. If I had sought that professional help, maybe I would have been able to break through years earlier. You know, in my life would have been different. No less wonderful because, again, I think everything happens for a reason. But you're right. Therapy is so valuable, really, if nothing more than to be able to talk about those things, to talk about that inner voice that's telling you that you're not worthy, that mm-hmm. you can't do something, you know, that you you don't belong, you don't deserve. Um, even just telling someone else that and a professional and them First of all, naming it, yes, you know, and then giving you ways to to cope with it. So there is incredible value, yes, mm-hmm. in therapy. And I wish that I had known that or had sought that earlier. Mm-hmm. 
um, it would have made the journey easier, I think. And so you were probably married almost 20 years before you even <laughs> shared this with your husband. Right. Why do you think that is? That guilt, that shame. So I can't even tell him. I can't even tell him. This is a person who loves me that I love. And I can't, you know, because he might, you know, he'll know that I'm a fraud. You know, and, you know, I didn't hide anything from him. I mean, he knows I didn't, you know, graduate from college. You know, he knows all of the things. But I just had this feeling like, oh, God, he's going to pack his bags and he's going to be gone. Thing. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it? It is. No, no, it is. I mean, knowing you and him, it is crazy, but it's not crazy in that, you know, we yeah. we can make ourselves believe anything. Mm-hmm. And I know you're two beautiful, smart <laughs> daughters. And <laughs> where you were raising them, you were suffering from this. So how did that affect what you were doing? It did affect the way I raised them, especially as girls into young women. And I think for better or worse, I tended to overcompensate with them. I wanted them to see me as a certain type of woman. I wanted them to see me to be able to say, wow, that's my mom. And that was hard because I didn't feel like I was a a person that that they could be proud of really. But it motivated you to change it. It did. Yeah. It did. It was great motivation. And then, and then I realized, you know, we have these talks now that my daughters are adults and they're like, mommy, really? <laughs> you know, we've been proud of you from day one, right? From day one, they are. And they have been a huge part of this healing for me. That's beautiful. Yeah. I was reading about imposter syndrome. And one thing that I read is oftentimes, Imposter syndrome is not the right term for what Black women are experiencing because that implies that it's just you, it's just you making up stuff in your head. And so if you go someplace like Duke in the 1980s, where you're part of an underrepresented minority group, and you might be experiencing things like your voice not getting the same attention as your peers or microaggressions, even though it's not true, your reaction to what you're experiencing is these stories that are not entirely just of your own making, but you're reacting to the environment that you're in. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that theory? That That is true. And I, I did think about that when you are one of a few. But the thing about my experience, I I looked around at the people who looked like me, who were who were in my, you know, cohort, and they were fine, seemingly. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and so I said, well, there goes that. Okay. You know, they're not going through this. They're doing just fine. They're flying high. They're achieving their goals. They're this, they're that. And I don't have that reason or excuse. Really. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we all suffered in silence a little bit. I know that now. Mm-hmm. I know that now. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a sharing is huge. Um, I mean, just here in this platform, being able to share this with you, 
is, is very helpful. And I think the people back in the 80s, the people who were put in place to help us were not really aware. And in the end, for me anyway, did not prove to be helpful. Being able to turn off that voice is really huge. But you know what, Elena, thinking about all those relationships from Duke, I saw you as so perfect. I really did. You were one of those people that I looked at and I said, God, this girl has it together. She is beautiful. She's brilliant. She does all the right things. Am I right, Brenda? You're right. I had to grow up with that my whole life. (laughs) I needed to share more. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I wish I could do, but I can't, but we're just going to imagine it. So let's pretend we could time travel and you are going back to 18 year old Janice sitting in her dorm room. What would you say to her? Oh, what would I say? Mm. So many things I would tell her about now. I would tell Mm. her the joy of now. I would tell her the wonderful life that she was about to have. I would tell her how valuable she is and how needed she is and what a good friend she's going to be, what a good mother she's going to be, what a good writer she's going to be. I would tell her, I would tell her the joy of now. Yeah, that would have been a beautiful thing. I hate that you had the pain. It makes me sad. You're really paralyzed um, and just convinced that it's not going to work out. And you're convinced that failure is always bad, that Mm -hmm. failure can't be a part of learning, that failure cannot propel you forward. There's failure can be healthy. But you don't realize that. You take every everything feeds that weed. Yeah. Everything. But you must be so strong and so brilliant because even with that huge oh. rock on your back, you still accomplished all these things. And that's another thing with imposter syndrome. You're careful not to say what you've done, what you've accomplished. The, you right. just miss the praise. Right. Right. Yeah. But thank you, Brenda. But yes, I I am able now more to look back. Like I look at the things that I did at NBC were really, really pretty great. Yeah. Yay. Um, Because I ended up being accidental mentor to the interns and the younger people coming in and um and finding my voice toward the end of my career. You know, I would turn around and just say anything. I was like, we can't let this script go out like this. I learned later, my supervisor told me, who is black, a Black woman, she said, Janice, that is something that we are really going to miss. Mm-hmm. We are, we are going to miss. We don't, we just don't have that. Mm-hmm. We haven't had that and we're going to miss it. You did so much for our editorial and for the integrity of our product. And mm-hmm. so I said, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> If there is a Black woman out there who's listening to this podcast and saying, hmm, maybe I have imposter syndrome, what might you say to her? 
find someone, someone professional, someone trained, find someone to talk to, okay, about this, you know, let them name it for you and then help you to move beyond it, to give you those tools to move beyond. And I would say to every Black woman that you are worthy, you're fabulous, you are worthy, you are valued, go with that. But, you know, as I have demonstrated, that is not always, that's not enough, always. Right. Because you, they, if they're not in a place to hear it, they're not going to hear it. Right. Right. We're going to keep saying it, though. Yeah, keep we saying are. it. We're going to keep worthy. Out of from the rooftop. <laughs> So Janice, what or who inspires you to be healthy? Having had this conversation, I have become my best inspiration, but my close core of friends, we hold each other accountable. We see their successes and their lives and their processes. And my daughters, I want to be an example for them to be healthy in mind and in body. And to be authentic, because what makes me happy, Elaine and Brenda, is is not necessarily what's going to make you happy. Yeah, I would say I like to be my own best inspiration. You asked about something that you would tell other women. What I didn't realize, you know, about Duke, about, you know, different jobs or whatever, is that I'm not in this space by luck or by chance. I was accepted to Duke like everybody else on my merit. I got I got these jobs on my merit because I knew what I was doing, because I was good at it. Not by luck, not by happenstance. So, you know, you are in that space for a specific reason, for a valid reason. I had just stopped and said, Janice, you got accepted like everybody else. And you are as capable as everybody else because... One of the things I noticed being a manager for many years is there are populations who just come with confidence. Even if they don't know things, they're going to go for that job. They're going to speak as if they know it and they're going to figure it out as they go. Guess what? We figure it out as we go too, but we have a whole narrative about why we're not supposed to be here. We exactly. are supposed to be here. If, if you can just know, just stop and think, well, I'm in this space. Why? I'm in this space because I deserve it. Yeah. I didn't, there wasn't any luck. Somebody didn't give this to me because I wasn't qualified. Yeah. You're in the space. That's half of it. You're in the space. Right. Fill it up with you. Fill the space up with you when you are there. Because that's, like that. that's where you are. What else yes. do? I mean, that's the best thing to do for you and for them. Right. Right. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> but it took me 50 years or more to learn that what you see on the outside from people is not always what's going on on the inside, as we all know. Right. And I have a lower threshold, if at all, for BS. I just, you know. The older you get, the more you're able to sniff that stuff out. You're you're able to name it and recognize it. You're like, uh-uh, I'm not having that. This is fantastic. This is going to be such a useful, inspirational episode. I think so many women are going to relate to your story. Thank and you. Congratulations thank you. on what you all are doing. So thank you for doing this. 
I'm so glad we had this conversation with Janice today. What I heard loud and clear from her story is that we need to share how we're feeling with our trusted friends. My own fear of judgment I know has kept me from sharing often. And what I realize now is that my friends are a great reality check for the negative thoughts that are in my head. And it's important to manage those negative thoughts because they don't just stay in your head. They can have real world consequences like not going for a great job or staying in an unhealthy relationship. So I'm so glad that Janice is at a point where she's thinking good thoughts about herself. Me too. I'm sad that it was such a long struggle for her to get there, but impressed that she actually did it on her own. Another lesson from this conversation is that we don't have to do it on our own. If we're feeling debilitating doubt about ourselves, we can talk to friends, we should seek professional help because we are all worthy. For resources related to today's topic, see the show notes or visit our website, bodywealthsisters.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bodywealthsisters. Please listen next week when we discuss hypothyroidism with Kendra Plummer. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode inspires you to increase your body wealth. If you like our show, please subscribe and tell a friend. The Body Wealth Podcast shares personal stories to inspire you. It does not constitute medical advice. For that, we encourage you to work with a trusted healthcare provider. We also want to remind you that the views expressed by our guests are their own. This podcast is dedicated to our mother, Jean Fernandez Barbour, who showed us what advocating for yourself really looks like.